between a profession like architecture and um, like being a doctor and being a lawyer is that the name in itself carries status. Yes. Whereas in the performing arts, which is a different type of creative industry, you only get status once you've made it. Welcome to the Brown Don't Frown podcast with your host, Tanya Hardcastle. We're here to engage in a thoroughly inclusive conversation with women from different backgrounds. Shaped by our cultural, racial and social experiences, we share our stories. Hi guys, I'm joined by... My name is Luna Guerco. Hi, my name is Alicia Marinike Fisher. My name's Tanya and we're talking today about women of colour in the creative industry. Now, personally guys, I don't know anything about the creative sector. Yeah. I just hear things from both of you. Having come from a theatre and acting background, yourself Lynn and Alicia from the architecture background, um, you both founded some interesting companies as well, so maybe you want to delve into that a bit? Do you want to go first? Because I could take it back. So, yeah, um, so I started off in the acting world. Um, I started off, I went to university, did English, left uni, once I graduated, got a really big acting agent, did work with BBC, Channel 4, TNT, and over the past couple of years, I decided to transition out of the acting industry and go into the world of digital marketing and tech. Um, So currently I'm working as a digital marketer, um, and I'm going into UX design. So they're all creative industries, but they're very different from each other. Let's move on to Alicia now. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, so my university, I did architecture. I fell into architecture because I was really interested at the time about the politics of space. So who was able to have the right to ownership of the certain spaces and then also how um, citizens of daily life are able to operate in those spaces. So it's almost like the enabling. So it's got quite a political angle yeah, yeah, to it definitely. as well. It's not just about creativity. Yeah, it's definitely to do yeah. with, for me personally, disabling and enabling. So trying to understand who can actually operate in different spaces. Um, that led me into architecture because I was interested in how we then curate our areas. And I think for me, it's just, especially at the moment, I'm still trying to understand how I can communicate that to people who are not necessarily in architecture because it's very exclusive. The language that we use is very exclusive. Um, it's almost like we're taught. Yeah, we're yeah. taught to speak in a certain way, which is only for specific people. And, and that I can find have the effect of excluding ordinary exactly. people. Okay. So yeah, and then... Yeah. From that, um, started to create businesses, and I'll talk about that later. Um, But then that, for me, is kind of like where I'm at because I'm Mm. still trying to understand more about the built environment. Um, And even that terminology is still something that not everyone understands. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, in today's society, I think over half of the jobs in the creative sector are carried out by men, and that's quite a stark figure. Even if you look at, like, some of the more traditional jobs like medicine or law, for some reason, the creative sector sort of singles itself out in a way because it is very exclusionary. And perhaps, I don't know, that's because a lot of the time with the creative sectors, you do end up taking a lot of risks um, just because it's it's so competitive and because it's so hard to break the mould. Recent statistics have even shown that it continues to be predominantly white. 88% of jobs were done by people from a white ethnic background within the creative sector in the last decade. BAME people make up just 11% of the people working in the creative industry. Um, wow. And that's an increase in about maybe 5% from 2015. So I feel like that's not really a massive jump. Yeah, it's quite slow, isn't yeah. it? I think yeah. also with all these cuts that are happening, it doesn't really enable people to actually access mm, yeah. um, all these creative industries. So that's obviously like a big major factor. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the weird thing about it is that it, 
I think now you see kind of a shift in culture where, not even a shift, I say it's always been there, but um, you see kind of the celebration of difference of of difference and mm. of you know of of people from the marginalized sections of society but it still seems to be that the 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 status quo is that white or middle class people are the gatekeepers to that so they only yeah. allow certain certain people to kind of you know rise yeah. to the top as yeah. it were and by way of example we were just talking earlier about the yoga studios yeah. and how it's become so so much of a commodity now as yeah, opposed to actual, yeah, like, yeah. hobby that people practice exactly. in ancient India and now exactly. it's just become like a middle class white woman yeah. hobby. Yeah. Ladies who lunch. <laughs> Ladies who brunch. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it, is, it is a really weird thing because you kind of see, um, you see publications who are like, you know, things like Vice, Dazed, um, like counterculture yeah. um, complex who are, you know, like, down with it and are like really progressive and like you know are you know are are kind of like the the gatekeepers of culture and you know find the like newest underground cool things <laughs> yeah there. and it's all on the surface but, yeah, but because the people should, who yeah. work in those publications are predominantly yeah. white and middle class yeah um so i i just think it's a, like and you even see it with things like you know like bbc and it was tim westwood and now it's charlie sloth but i think everyone <laughs> i think everyone knows like everyone knows a black dude who's amazing at like you know co- like commenting on music yeah. do you know what i mean so it feels it's a really weird like trevor nelson yeah but like not even that like just in just in like with our own in our own kind of spaces we know people who know so much about music right but it, it still seems that oh like like chicken shop date as well like it's like gentrifying something that's traditionally black and and putting like a like a, 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 a white middle, twist on a middle class white woman like eating chicken with these rappers <laughs> but i mean did you both always see yourselves working in the creative sector growing up so i think a lot of the time with migrant families or if you're from a minority background there is always a pressure to do to go for the more professional roles and that again i think stems from this sentiment of wanting to be stable i think the definition of creative changed especially with like technology and the digital market nowadays i think if i'm being honest i never really had a lot of pressure from mum because she is from a creative industry as well really yeah so right. she my mum used to make wedding dresses um, and then, well, <laughs> to be very honest, she used to work for a fashion brand. Um, and then she's always been the type of person who like puts her hands in different things. So she things in different pies. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And then okay. she kind of introduced that to me. So as I was evolving as a woman, that was something that I took pride in, just being a creative. And I yeah. saw the struggles of being a creative from the get-go. So I always knew that this is not gonna be an easy life for me. It but was never like yeah. and also it wasn't a conversation of stability. I, I don't know. Maybe that's more. So that I think, wasn't part of the conversation. But I think that's also my mum. My mum's not very like hardcore Nigerian. My mum's very laid back, which is she's very foreign. Back. Yeah, and I but feel was she's born here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so this is go. why. And I yeah. think from it does that, sort of dilute. I yeah. think yeah. generations. <clears throat> yeah. Definitely. I think from that instance, I've just learned a lot from her. But I've mm. also learned that in order for me to compete in a market which is extremely competitive yeah. I need to make sure that I have a voice I need right. to literally make a stamp of approval that I'm actually here and make a ruckus if I have to so from right. her rebellion ways I'm just learning and so I've always so been she like had quite a big impact yeah definitely definitely yeah for me it was the complete opposite 
Mm. Um, so like my parents my dad specifically really wanted me to be a lawyer right Um, because he's a lawyer right yeah he was a barrister Um, and because I talked too much and really argumentative he was like you'd make a great lawyer I'm like nah mate that's not (laughs) Um, sorry but at the same time um, out of both my parents I'd probably say my dad was the most supportive most supportive of my creative endeavours because he like for him um, he loved reading and especially he loved Bernard Shaw he was a playwright so he was like if you could play like Bernard like someone in play Bernard Shaw play Pygmalion like that would be amazing wow um, so he was always like okay like as long as you kind of like, go for it that's fine that was Whereas, quite progressive of him yeah, yeah. and I think it's, I think it's because um, did he grow up in the UK no, he grew up in Nigeria. But my, okay. my, my dad, he was very, um, he was very unorthodox. Is what right. I would say. He's a bit of a rebel. Yeah, definitely. He the was best. Definitely a bit of a rebel. <laughs> the best a, kind. Yeah, he was definitely a bit of a rebel, um, for sure. Right. And um, I think a lot of that had to do with his, like, political, his political views as well, because he was incredibly left. Like, wrote a Socialist, full-blown. Like, yeah, he wrote a book called why every Nigerian should be a socialist. Like, he was oh, like... I need to read that Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. No, he was like... He was on it. But my mum was like, you better be a lawyer, <laughs> be a doctor, or be a teacher. I'm not having anything other than that. Like, <laughs> see, honestly, I worked in primary schools as my survival job. That's a term that actors use <laughs> as the job that gets them the some coping point. mechanism. Yeah, literally, it's a coping mechanism. Like, this is what's getting me a little all bit of coping. All these people serving me at, like, Honest Burger. Yeah, they're, all, they're, all, they're, all, they're all artists. And so this is, this is kind of the shift that I've kind of gone through over the last couple of years um I think with the emergence of tech we are allowed to be creatives and you can be a contractor or a freelancer make hell of money yeah. and then also do your other creative aspirations yeah. whether that's music or whether that's acting whether that's but but people people in that industry don't know that yet Fair so enough. I feel quite privileged actually where I am at this moment in time to um be able, be able to, to all yeah be able to exploit yeah, it so okay. then if i am like yeah. you know whatever like let me be an actor or let me be an opera singer or let me be i'm never gonna be an opera singer but <laughs> essentially you get it if i want to do something it? high risk i have the financial because when parents say stability this is what i'm mean saying finance. Yeah. Finance. Yes. They yeah. mean finance. but also yeah. i have to say like some of these professions like back 20 30 years ago like doctors lawyers like engineers whatever they were it was like about heightening social status mm. and about 100%. giving you that social impact 100%. and doing something you know that gave you a moral conscience yeah like i mean is that something you guys agree with because i think what do you agree with in the sense that when you do something, it needs to be meaningful. You need to feel like you're giving back to some to something or to society um, or to someone. Do you think the creative? No, I don't think there should be a pressure for you to do that. I think there is a pressure for you to do that. Unfortunately, yes, there is. Like every POC person, whatever they do, they must they, want they to must do it for the community. But this is my issue. It's always like we have to do it for the community. There's this this weird pressure that we have on top of us that people have put on us, and it's like actually I don't want to do that. I'm not interested. Yeah, I do think that back in the day it was very much about yes, social status. I still think it is kind of it still is yeah exactly because medicine is still an institution that is very much due with status architecture again the reason why I personally feel like yeah the reason why I feel like it takes so long for you to get there isn't because it's a learning process yeah you can learn whatever but it's actually because of social status it's getting that respect at the end of it that actually you don't even get anywhere having that tick box yeah Yeah, next to 
So yeah. if you say you're an actor or a musician or a filmmaker like, or whatever, yeah. people are like, but you didn't are you really Who are you? <laughs> once they recognise you on TV, once they've heard your song on the radio, then it's, yeah, 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 that person, that you. person is... But I kind of think, okay, so I feel like if any of my artists, if any of my architecture friends listen to this, they maybe like disagree with me, but I do feel like with architecture, it's not so much anymore about if you're an architect, if you're not an architect. It's more about the buildings you create. And if you can actually have something behind you with that, it's more about the works. It's very much about the visual element. So if you created this great, amazing thing, that's your name on that building. But if you're just any other architect, everyone, there's loads of people architects. Externally though, yeah, right. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that. So like, someone no, I wouldn't who's know not, that. Someone really? not an architect, no, but, but within architecture. There's that understanding that you don't, you may not have that respect. Maybe you assume that once someone is an architect, they've built something. But yeah. actually, yes, we so haven't you built. Designed. Yeah, we yeah, probably like, most likely, especially with the, the society that we're in at the moment, with the money that we don't have, it's that we don't have any buildings that we built because there isn't even space to do that. No. Where's the land to do that? In, especially yeah. in London, where's the land to do that? Well, Alicia, you founded Black Females in Architecture. What inspired you to do that? Basically, it was just literally meeting people who had the same passion and drive as I did so we all met at an event I knew three of them two of them before but you must have seen a racial gender gap in our yeah I've been seeing it for ages to to make that yeah yeah but I've been saying it I've been doing it for ages I've been saying it for ages but it's one of those things where if you're not going to these events if you're not even like networking you will never find these people and so at this one event I went to there were three black oh my gosh I've never seen this before like I've never That's seen how it all started. literally I've never seen black women what year on we have filled up the capacity of our whatsapp group to 250 members That's insane. and it's not just women who black women who are in the UK it's all over the place it's all so over the world it's literally right. an amazing space it's a global connection but space. again it's going back to tech because I'm realizing that the more that we do stuff it's, it's very much based on the digital platform yeah yeah i think you i think i think tech has literally democratized kind of people's abilities to make communities create platforms literally. create spaces like if we were having this conversation say you know like even 10 not even no not 10 I'd even when we started uni. do you know what i think is really good about the digital space yeah it's it's untouched whereas all these other professions yeah. had all these like historic connotations yeah. of class yeah, and social status. Yeah. Digital space is literally like from the ground up. So yeah. anyone can anyone, you know, anyone, yeah, can, anyone, anyone can, can own it. Anyone can own the space. Literally. I think I think it, you do get a lot of noise. You do get a lot of noise, but then at the same time, <laughs> if someone has an amazing you do. You're not like okay, like for example, I have a real problem with the word influencer. Oh, what is and that? the reason the reason I, I have all the, time the reason I have a problem they the influence in- the way you think. But the, yeah, no, no, no. The reason I have a word of it because before people used to call people bloggers, YouTubers, whatever. Yeah, now, now people the are word saying, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Yeah, and like, like, if you're like, if you're like, if you're like, I want to be in that space and whatever. That's cool, whatever. But I think my problem with the word influencer is I don't think you should call yourself an influencer. I thought other people should attribute that to yes. you. Okay. So you have people who haven't got a platform. You've got to earn haven't really, Yeah, space. you've got to yeah. earn it. So you've got yeah. people who haven't necessarily got that much of a platform or following yeah. um, calling themselves influencers. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, what I'm, exactly I'm just you're like, influencing? you're not influencing that many people. I don't even think it's about that many people. I think it's more about the impact of your influence. So yeah, definitely. If you've got like a really small following, but that following that you have it's organic all die yeah. and it's organic for what you do yeah. and it stands for something then that's cool but if you're just out here like I don't okay whatever if we were like for example if you're like I want to start BFA mm. it would have been harder for you to do a few years 110 like it would have been harder you had to 
know the right yeah, people. Yeah, Whereas yeah. now you can you something can, can just go viral. And, yeah, and people click can, of the button. People can you can send an email. You can you can you can WhatsApp people. You can put it on Twitter. You can put whatever. Black you can hashtag. Exactly. Yeah, and if people if people like the idea, they will they would be like, oh, this is, sounds interesting. How can I be involved? Yeah. And you don't need money to do that. And I think that's. I think that's the thing. That I makes it accessible. That's what yeah. makes it accessible did, because yeah. you do not need money yeah. to have an opinion. You do yeah. not need money to start a... You don't need money to start a business. Literally. Before, you would have to... Literally, if you're starting BFA, you might have to, you might have to in order to even start it, get funding um, and save up money in order to do it. Um, so you can, you know, write letters to other um, architecture <laughs> firms or whatever. Like, do you, you have, have any? Exactly. Whereas now, did you hear about that guy who, um, this young boy, this black boy? He's yeah. quite young. I think he's like just before going into uni. Yeah. He want he wanted internships. So yeah. It was on BBC News this morning. He was literally standing outside London Bridge tube station with a placard saying, yeah. "Give me, give me an internship." And he went viral. And he went viral, and yeah. then from that he got an internship. Like I'm not gonna ask you. The main reason is that there are people there that are able to actually record his yeah. process yes. exactly. and actually put it on yeah. the digital platform yeah. that, that really make it viral. Exactly. That for me literally. Like every, everyone needs a personal brand. These I think days, what's like, becoming really commoditized is I think the word um, is pers- people's personal brand. Yeah, and there's this sort of influence that I think I'm seeing as well within myself where we want to like present a really authentic version of ourselves and we want to sell that because there are so many people who are like trying to copy someone else and that's we're sort of stemming away from that now and focusing more on like selling authenticity what makes you stand out and I think that's something that's quite I'm quite empowering sure. I'm, not, I'm not sure how much I agree with that you know really and I also feel like it's quite hot I'm just actually what that. is authentic because then they may be like yeah, faking it and, yeah. I, and it's not even that it's more it's more that I don't think that I think social media has its different purpose and some people use uh, social media to present their personal and some people use their social to media to, to <laughs> build platforms and to present the professional there's a weird grey area of that where especially when you're in kind of a uh, a personality space, as it were. So you're essentially selling your personality, whether as an influencer or whatever. That 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 as those lines, yeah, those lines essentially get blurred, and it's like I don't know, kind of I don't know, like it's a bit, it's a bit like how authentic is it for you to think? Oh, should I post this? Should I not? Like, do, do you know what I mean? And you're d- you're deliberating, you're deliberating you what people are going to think of it. Yeah, does that mean that's authentic? Exactly, it's probably not. It's probably it's lost more it. about the people's response with that more than it is your yeah. your your eagerness or desire to post this post. It is about seeking validation a lot of the time. As yeah, well, so. so I guess it yeah. I guess it depends on where you're coming from and if you're really. Tell us a bit more about the Black Girl Sewing Circle. Okay, so uh, Black Girl so about it. Black Girl Sewing Circle is a platform essentially connect Black girls with each other who love to sew and the reason the idea of it kind of came about from the fact that whilst I was at uni living with Alicia and two other of our housemates we would literally all sit in our living room and make clothes and it was so fun and I probably advanced like my learning of sewing like that was the fastest it was Mm -hmm. I went from an absolute beginner who made like one skirt to someone who was making dresses for people within the space of like, you're making ball dresses, yeah, literally yeah. within the space of like that, what, yeah. like that was wild though. That was wild. making stuff. Was it, there was an event we all needed to go to. We were all literally sitting there making dresses. I was making a dress for me, and I was making a dress for another friend of ours. And we were literally sitting there. We come into our living room, there's fabric everywhere, pins <laughs> everywhere. Just it was absolutely it was a mess. But um, so that I really loved that space. And my mum, she. She she makes all her like own dresses, but she hand stitches everything. So she's always been really, really? intimidated oh by God, a sewing machine. Really? 
Um, and and kind of, it, it's a mix of things because of gentrification, because of the cultural impact of sewing. If you're main, if you're POC, you tend to not buy clothes off the rack if it's for like a wedding or a, or a christening, or you usually you Make buy your traditional attire fabric go to a tailor to make it. Yeah, yeah. I had that quite a lot growing up. Exactly. So make our own mm. clothes. Exactly. Me. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so if I'm going to yeah. like a Western party, yeah, let me get my dress from, from whatever shop. But if I'm going to a traditional Nigerian affair... But it's nice having a custom-made dress as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then I it's found... expensive, exactly. my friend. And so this is, this, is, this is the reason <laughs> that I started it. So um, a lot of... So there was frustration on both sides. So... Um, I think as 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 black business owners, we underprice ourselves, right? So if you if you look at yeah, so if you look at if you look at tailors who are essentially white, Savile Row is a whole thing. I know, it's and it's a whole thing, and it's so expensive, and it's custom made. And then you look at what we ask Nigerian tailors to make for us, right? And how much you actually pay? And then you're telling them, please just do this for fifty pounds, and it's like they're making something for your own body. For your own body to your design that fits you and then you're underpricing them and then they don't have the money then they'll just say yes to anything because because they're like well so and so paid me 50 quid to make something that took literally a week for me to make i have to just say yes to this design even if i can't actually do it whereas if we price them correct if we allow them to price correctly if they're like it's 120 pounds we're like okay cool that's 120 pounds give you they can then use that money to then get trained to do the more elaborate dresses mm. which which take more yeah, time but it's exactly. more worth their while yeah and the other side of that was that a lot of girls were like Sometimes I don't need to go to a tailor. Sometimes I just I just want to make something like quite easy or, or Myself, whatever, and, yeah. and also understand how to speak to a tailor because what I because I've been to a tailor once or twice since I learned how to sew, and I understand when she's basically telling me lies. And I understand. <laughs> and I understand when she's being serious. So when she's like, "This design that you want can't be done because the because of the darting or the fabric is isn't heavy enough or you haven't got enough to make this type of flare." I know she's telling the truth because I understand the process of sewing. Mm. So it's to empower the consumer. Now that you're on the inside. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what would you both say was your biggest obstacle, obstacles to getting where you are today? In general, I think... No, in in the creative industry, trying to break moulds. Well, firstly, it's the fact that architecture is not even really noticed in the architecture, I mean, in the creative industry. That's number one. Because yeah. I think so of... So when people think creative industry, I say... I'm they outside. think of what arts. What do they think? They think of arts. They think of at least theatre. They think about graphic design. They would never in their lifetime think about architecture. The, the space in which you actually use on a on a constant basis, you wake up, you're in a house. The, the basic need is that you need food and shelter, right? So... On on the on the basic scale, you need architecture. Need, yeah. yeah, you need architecture. As soon as you wake up, you're in a space, right? And then you move from one space to another space. If you're going to the office, you're going to another architecture environment, right? And so for me, it's like constantly having to battle as a black woman, firstly, not being existing in that space, not existing as even in the creative industry because I'm not accepted in the creative industry because I'd rather go for graphic design or this type of stuff. Especially when they do the whole, these are the, the hundred black creatives of the year, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I literally email these people and I'm just like, guys, you do realise architecture is part of that because in order for you to to, to be enabled in a space, we have to create that space. Right. In order for you to feel like you are safe in a space, yes. we need to look at the psychological part of that and then also analyse how it's going to be constructed. So it's all a process that doesn't even get really highlighted at all. Yeah, and I, I think agree. for me, 
the problem with that is that I'm constantly have to fight, not mm. just for my race, not just for my ethnicity, not just because I'm a woman, but also I have to fight in an industry that keeps negating that I exist. Do you see there are any threats to architecture as a profession? Because yes. of technology, because of AI and the power of that. And there are a lot of, lot of different careers. So for example, landscape, uh, urban planning, you know, design, builders, all those sorts of things are sort of amalgamating to become one a lot of the time and people mm. are sort of fusing these sorts of different ideas and professions together. I don't see that as a threat. I say that see that as like a, a really good collaboration collaboration, if I'm being honest. Okay. The reason why I don't see it as a threat is because there's a lot that we still have to learn that right. we still haven't even been able to really um, access. So in a space of which, for instance, the most um, diverse community in the whole of London is actually meant to be um, Newham Council. Okay. So that is basically like Stratford, that is places yeah, like here, East Ham. Yeah. In that space, really and truly, we should be thinking about the people who are governing those spaces. Yeah. We should be thinking about those people that are leading those spaces, those people that are being asked to create thousands of homes in the next how many years to do with the London plan, for instance. Has been and there is a housing crisis. Literally, that has been orchestrated by the Mayor of London. It's like, okay, so then how do you make sure that we are actually outreaching to them. And for me personally, the first step is to make sure you have a good representative of those people who actually serve those communities. At the moment, you really don't have that in, even in, the, in a lot of the councils. Yeah. So it's making and, sure yeah, that those in people... In the West as well, there's a stat that for every five empty houses, there's one homeless person. Mm. And it's just in, that's insane. Yeah, it's disgusting, isn't it? It's just sickening. But I, I would agree that architecture isn't necessarily considered the like within the creative industries. I'd say... So, for example, um, I think as we just established, I used to be in the world of theatre and now I'm in the digital space. I didn't even know. I, the, the thing that I'm doing at the moment, I literally did not know existed three years ago. I had no concept of it, like, whatsoever. Um, and I would not have considered it the creative industries. If I met someone who was like, you were a UX designer or, or I wrote You'd be like, what is that? Copy, yeah. I'd be like, huh, what is that? Mm. Um, and it's the, the ironic thing is, I remember people back in the day being like, you should be a copywriter. And I'd be like, what's that? And <laughs> like, no, do you know what I mean? This kind of perception that is, the more we've got, I think the creative industries has a really unhealthy relationship with um, with, with money and class. But I think the more functional something is and the more like ability it has to kind of make you money, like sustainable income, the less idea of it is being creative. So I think people kind of... As soon as you put a commodity or a value on something, yeah, it becomes then, less yeah, appealing. Exactly. Thing. Yeah, exactly. So for me, um, having been in that world, like everyone was wearing the badge of broke. Like it was the best thing in the world. Like, yeah, I'm broke. Yeah, I can't afford what he's called. Yeah, I'm an artist. Bro, I'm an artist. Yeah. And, and the <laughs> thing is that I think the real danger of that is, um, is A... You get pigeonholed firstly. No, it's not even about pigeonholing. I think I think if you look at the if you look at that industry in particular, it is it is very white and middle class, right? And it's like the it's like you have one person who's white and middle class who's like, yeah, I work in a bar on the weekends, like as my survival job, like. But they have they have a home over there. They have parents well, who can support yeah. them. And you've got someone else. They've who's got doing, a backup. Exactly. That's the main thing. Yeah. And they've got someone else who's doing the same thing that doesn't come from the same level as privilege because this person's doing it because that's what they're told they're meant to do. So they've got no money at all. They don't even have the backing of like you know bank of mum and dad. Exactly. And they're they're struggling mentally, physically, financially because they're told that you have to be broken starving in order to be an artist. And so now being in this new space, tech, knowing that there are people out here earning 
hundreds a day to be to be coders, to be graphic designers, to be to be like these sorts of things. And I'm just like, rah, like if I knew that these things existed years ago, I would have been like much more secure. And then, and, then, spaces, and then yeah. yeah. Then you know, but but done that for a couple of years full time, <clears throat> become a freelancer or a contractor, and then been like, all right, cool beans, like I've made my coins, I can be a performer now, but or 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 some sort of artistic endeavor but have that skill that enables me to make money and I think I think that's something that I'm it's finding that balance isn't yeah it, I have two things just quickly one of the things that I think is a quite a big obstacle is the belief that we all have to go to university in order to yeah to thrive because I case, think that yeah. is quite a big obstacle because that puts you in so much financial I think that actually debt. facilitates inaccessibility and a lot yeah. of people are pulled, put off by the fact that tuition fees keep on going up exactly and why I would think you want to pay why would you want to be in debt Exactly, and I think also within my industry, the the proximity is that you're supposed to be in this course for these seven years, which is actually, in truth, is more or less average ten years. And who has funds to be who has funds to be doing that? That's actually a long term. You have to have a long term insight for that. And so for me, I think that already is an obstacle. Another obstacle would also be the fact that the reason why we exist as Black Females in Architecture is because yes, we are support membership network, but actually we just need visibility so as soon as you don't give us the right to speak the right to have a space the right to it's all to do with rights it's ownership we need to feel like we own spaces. We yeah. need to feel and like we can yeah. yeah. People always have an idea in their head of what an architect looks like and it's not someone who's a black woman yeah, in literally. someone's head. Yeah. If you actually think about it, what our subconscious tells us, especially in UK, mm. in Western countries, yeah. you don't. if you meet someone and they tell you they're an architect and they're black and they're female or they're an ethnic minority, you know, you sometimes think, oh, I wouldn't have said that about yeah. you. No. again why black females in architecture exist because that's what we want to do we want to make sure people are actually recognizing that black women can be architects yeah. and also that we can be other things we can be urban planners we can be landscape architects yeah. we can be really fight because people always talk about okay all this stuff about climate change climate destruction and all this type of stuff and i'm very much for it but when we go to protest are there black women are there many black women there why? Really question why certain people from marginalised communities can't even protest. Because we have things we have to do. We have to, we have to work. We have to, it's not even a nine to five for us. It's a nine to five on the, on the front side, but we have so many other challenges that we have to fight for. And yes, we want to come to the protest. Yes, we want to fight for all these type of things. But at the same time, we have to, we just can't, we cannot always be present to things that actually are very much to do with us. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to environmental crises, the things that happen to environmental crisis is, is that the fact of the matter is people who are most affected are going to be ethnic minorities. Yeah, that's Standing, half of Bangladesh is going to be underwater. What? Yeah. Wow. That's so poor, man. Architecture is never even talked yeah. about in the conversation yeah. of environmental, yeah. environmental crises. And I think that's a problem because are we not the ones to give you shelter? Are we not the ones to yeah. create your spaces? And this is where diversity and inclusion come in. And it's just like, you know, organisations and big corporations and institutions have these definitions that they construct of what diversity and inclusion should be. And it's always about the numbers game. It's all about hitting the quotas and ticking the right boxes. But I mean, that uh, also comes down to policy. That yeah, comes down to But policy. who shapes the policy, but I think, I as did, well? I, th- I think essentially, until people who are, who, who are going to be affected or are you know of these marginalized communities are in decision making positions then we'll see the same 
thing kind of happen over and over again. Yeah. And that is why we have yeah. to make sure that networks, yeah. organisations, all these types yeah. of things... And how would you really say they can be best achieved in the creative industry? I don't want to put pressure on people by saying that you need to create networks, but I do think there is more of us need to... And there are things happening, and I do believe there are grassroots opportunities coming through but I do think it, it has to happen both ways it has to be top mm. and it has to top down and grassroots also it comes down to capitalism if you look at it really and truly because at the end of the day what would happen is grassroots communities unfortunately we will have to look at the money side of things have to look yeah. and patriarchy. what will happen is that they can't fund themselves mm-hmm. and so what you usually have is that people start selling themselves off what do you think about money and the creative industries like that relationship it's horrendous in, in what in what sense? At the in end of the every day, sense of the word, rich people only fund things that interest them, yeah, and yeah. that aligns with their personal, yeah, yeah. They become skewed, yeah. and certain startups are funded more than others. Being in the creative industries now, I think what's really amazing is that because these spaces essentially haven't been made for us, we've been making them ourselves. So, mm. like you have with Black Females in Architecture and other platforms that are happening, mm. um, and I think that's a really amazing thing, and. Um, but I, it kind of begs the question that not everyone has that mindset, and I don't. I don't think everyone should, and I yeah. think that's. I think that's. Yeah. I think one thing to note is the fact that it's all a system. So I think just to bring this back is that you're in a system which is teaching you that from primary to secondary school, you have to adopt this mentality of literally I'm going to fight to win I've got to be academic otherwise you're going to get through exactly and then by the time that you finish your secondary school you're prepping for A-levels and stuff like that when actually that's not for everybody that's not accommodating everyone exactly that push is also very kind of um, it's like focused so when you're at primary school, you learn a variety of topics, and then you yeah. get to secondary school. And then it's, I think we we push to specialise very yeah. early on, and I'm not a yeah, specialist. Yeah. You're a generalist. You need to be talented. I'm a generalist as hell. Like I know, I know I <laughs> a know, little bit about everything. I know a bit about everything, and I love that I can draw just inspirations from different parts of my world. Definitely. I mean, I know but, we are quite biased because we both. I mean, we, all three of us are from higher education backgrounds, but yeah. historically, I do think that division has been sowed through the expense of an unpaid internship and not many people can afford okay. sort of expensive degrees but from higher education backgrounds do we even think they're actually necessary formal qualifications as you said no I think it, I think it, it depends on the industry it depends on the individual as well it depends on the individual so me for example like if I didn't go to university and then I still had the same change of heart about my career I might, I, I might have, I'd, I'd, I'd struggle, but not only that, I, I probably would just go to university. I think for me, I'm just looking back at my university life, and to be honest, the thing I got from university was friends. Yeah, yeah. Diversity facilitates individualism because you sort of step out from schools very like debilitating. But I think it depends on the individual you've got again. To a certain clique. Yeah, but, but then when you go to university, I feel like people can be themselves. Just looking back at my architecture education. Could have taught myself most of these things. What would you mean? That's the thing. At the end of the day, if I'm being honest, I don't think I got. I, if I'm looking back at my jobs, I don't. In the way that nepotism is at the moment, currently, in the the way I've built my contacts, probably could have if I was navigating well, myself it. in this way. Yeah, and I think I I I, I agree with you too because I kind of a certain degree because I think with me the opportunities that I've gotten haven't been through formal education. Exactly, they've been all through being like me, being like, hey, oh. Hey. 
for example, it's confidence. It's, it, that's exactly it's confidence. It's coming you in get like a job on confidence. I really like the idea that creativity has no boundaries. You've got to be versatile. You don't, you don't, yeah, you don't have to be one type of creative. And yeah. I think I think the way the work, working world used to work before is like you're either on this spectrum or you you're just in that, two sides of the same coin. One side was very rigid. Um, but a lot of stability and a lot of money. Yeah. And the other was really flowy, but no stability and no money. Whereas now you can kind of merge the two because of like, if you're still of that, like you've got to come in at nine, leave at five, your company is not going to exist within the next 10, ten years. I'm telling 100%, you that now. Because I think more or less people are becoming or have been on this route of becoming entrepreneurs. Just not even entrepreneurs, work-life balance. I believe in hobbies. <laughs> I, yeah. 100%. I believe in, you know, creativity is so much more than just something to look at or something to admire. You know, there mm. is this thing of being representative of your community and influencing power in a positive way and being able to shape other people's perceptions, especially when you think of something like cognitive dissonance. As soon as we are conflicted about something, if you believe in both sides, both agendas, we sort of get stuck and we freeze. And I think creativity enables people to look at the other side and it's about accessibility. It's much As much as it is about visual pleasure, it's also about self-expression and owning yourself yeah. and your own ideas um, and as soon as we start generalising it within a vacuum it becomes uniform and it becomes boring mm. so I do think that the creative space is- can I do, Can I ask you a question just yeah. as like you're the host yeah. uh, do I'm you think yeah 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 because I especially for someone who's not in the creative industry I just want to know what as your outside views yeah, what are your views of the creative, creative industry I find it quite intimidating because I don't know very much about it and I do think it's a space where you have to be very brave and you have to be able to put your own stamp on things because of how competitive the creative industry is and everyone's trying to make it, everyone's got their own ideas and a lot of the time it is about power structures yeah. and people are sort of like True. competing and speaking over each other and there is that sort of culture as well. Um, and I think everyone needs to have that representation and that voice, but it is quite hard when the market is so saturated. So every week I ask a guest on the show to extract a quote from a book they recently read and if it had any feminist themes or any other, any themes at all which inspires them, it'd be good to hear. Quote of the book. Okay, so this is not necessarily from a book, but it is by the great Toni Morrison. And I think for me, I've always read a lot of Toni Morrison's books and I feel like in a way I've allowed myself to live through her in the smallest capacity if that makes sense which is, I think is quite special so um, my quote would be I tell my students when you get these jobs that you have so brilliantly trained for just remember that your real job is that if you are free you need to free somebody else if you have some power then your job is to empower somebody else and I think that for me is almost like an echo chamber for almost everything that I am as a woman stand for, yeah. and I stand for because mm. that is kind of like why black females in architecture myself and my co-founders have created this network is That's to make sure yeah. that other people have like this, have more opportunities yeah. we're yeah. providing that yeah what about you Lynn um so mine is from a lady called like Lisa Nichols and she writes a lot of like esoteric self-help right <laughs> <Guys>. <laughs> And um, my quote is, people are more comfortable with a familiar discomfort than they are with an unfamiliar new possibility. And I think that essentially encapsulates my journey from one creative industry to another. 
I was feeling really uncomfortable in the industry that I was in before. In acting. And, yeah, and it was like, it was weird because I had like, re- for someone who didn't go to drama school, because that's another barrier. For yeah. someone who didn't go to drama school, yeah. working class, black, I was doing actually quite well. Yes. Like, and I hadn't been in the industry for a long time. Had a really, you had like, your own agent. Yeah, I had a, had a really like famous agent, um, was doing amazing work with like different like companies and stuff like that. But I just didn't like the way the industry worked, and I also felt really kind of like I didn't I didn't feel in charge of my own. Like in no other industry, do you have someone else apply for jobs for you? You get an agent who submits you for stuff. So if you're like, I kind of want to be doing this work, you need to have an agent who backs that. If the agent's like, No, I just want to send you for this type of work first. Like for example, I love the theatre. I was only getting seen for TV and being booked for TV, and I wanted to do more theatre. But my agent was like, "It'd be better for you to do like." TV. Why is that? Sorry, just why is that? What? What? what why did my agent want to give me? Yeah, TV. Because they were getting more TV. Because oh. the agent, more money yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, it's way more money. Mm. Like, um, like the amount that you earn in TV is is ridiculous. Like, it's, it's actually ridiculous. it's quite ironic because in theatre you're doing you're doing more. you're improvising. Yeah, and you're still getting paid less than someone who can have like thirty tapes. Yeah, still getting. It's, paid. it's a completely different skill set. I'd say like with I say what's beautiful about theatre is the rehearsal. But genuinely, you meet a lot of artists who are very comfortable with being poor, and it's not something that it's, it's a lifestyle. No, it's not. It's not. It's not funny by any way. It's not funny because I think this is my issue. It affects, it affects your mental health. The reason I picked it is that yeah, um, it, I think it encapsulates like who who I am as a creative, and I think also like in order to kind of in order to reach new heights and whatever it is, you need to be willing to do stuff that you're not necessarily used to. Yeah. And I mean, me changing careers has opened up so many doors to me. First of all, like I have like my sewing circle, which is in Peckham Levels every Hello. Sunday. Hello. Secondly, nominated as one of Google's like young creatives. Hello. Like, do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the first step is making yourself more present. Yeah. And that again, as we mentioned, yeah. comes with com- being confident. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. 100%. As cliche as that sounds. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, literally. You know you're blagging. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. And thank you too for coming on the show. Thank you, Tom. Until next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> thank you for listening to Brown Don't Frown podcast. If today's discussion interested you or you want to share your story, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. Please like, share and subscribe. Thank you. <laughs>